Hey, what's up, guys, and welcome into episode 12 of the Landscape Photography Show. We have a really good guest on the show today. His name is Matt Payne. Matt Payne is just a really good laid-back guy who genuinely loves photography, but like we all have, has concerns with where photography is going. And he's also the host of the wildly successful podcast, F-Stop, Collaborate, and Listen. If you want to find links to that show, you can go to today's show notes at davidjohnstonart.com slash podcast slash pain. That's P-A-Y-N-E. And you can find all the links that we're going to talk about during today's episode there. Now, we do talk about some things that Matt had some thoughts on. Number one, we talk about like print sales. Number two, we talk about how to share your photos on social media honestly for audiences to see what your creative expression is. And we also talk about several other topics that have come up in landscape photography, both in our conversations and then also on his podcast as well that I wanted to get his thoughts on as well. So let's get into today's show. The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, everybody? We're here with Matt Payne. Matt, one of the first questions that I wanted to ask you right off the bat is why you kind of landed on landscape photography as an interest of yours. Cool, yeah. Um, Well, I guess first, thanks for having me on the show, and um, it's awesome to be here. Uh, Landscape photography for me, uh, it really just started out uh, with me wanting to uh, document uh, my mountain climbs. So back in uh, 2007, I kind of re-engaged on a lifetime goal to uh, climb the highest 100 mountains in Colorado. And, uh, you know, my, my dad had had the same goal when I was growing up. And, you know, he didn't have a ton of photos. You know, you'd have to just listen to him tell stories. And I wanted to just be able to show people what I did and, and show it to my son when he gets older and stuff like that. So brought a camera along with me and just started taking pictures of stuff that I saw on the climbs. And, um, as I got more and more into it, you know, obviously I was finding myself in some absolutely stunning scenery, um, and, and amazing landscapes here in the high mountains of Colorado. And I just, uh, it, the kind of photography side of things started to grow legs for me. So I started uh, really getting more and more into the photo side and decided to buy a quote unquote real camera. So I purchased a DSLR and um, checked out like every book in the library that I could find on photography and just started teaching myself how to take pictures and how to understand the exposure triangle. And I guess, you know, what kind of kept it going is, it was a really nice marriage between my goal of climbing the mountains and then also wanting to take beautiful photos of those places on the way. So um, it it was a constant motivator for me to, to get out and do those climbs and do those hikes, but then also to come back with some amazing photos as well. So that's, that's kind of how it stuck. I mean, I've dabbled in other types of photography, 
since then, you know, I've done portraiture and I've done weddings and events and architecture. And I mean, I, I can pretty much do it all. Okay. Um, but landscape has always been my, my number one passion. You probably got some pretty good scouting in while you were climbing all those mountains too. Oh yeah. You'd be like, Oh man, I bet that would be amazing to see from that vantage point over there and stuff like that. So yeah, for sure. (laughs) Did you keep a list or like a booklet with you while you were going? No. um, I mean, I definitely had a list of all of my climbs and things like that. And I had a, uh, I guess you could call it a blog that I maintained throughout the years where I would do trip reports after each climb and talk about all the mountains and uh, I don't know. I just, when it comes to Colorado mountains, I have a really good memory and I can, for the most part, um, I can, when I'm up there, I can be like, yep, that's that mountain. That's this mountain. I can tell you a story about that one. Um, I don't know. It's just part of who I am, but I've been spending time in the mountains ever since I was a little kid. So, <laughs> yeah, I should have mentioned right when we came on, you're the host of the F stop collaborate and listen podcast. And I did have, I had some questions that I wanted to ask you about that. And that's, what do you attribute to, what I would describe as your podcast being wildly successful and having like a huge footprint within the landscape photography community. Yeah. Uh, thanks for saying that. Um, I guess I would attribute it to, um, my perseverance and just keeping it, um, keeping it going every week, week in, week out. Um, you know, as they say, content is king. And when it comes to something like a podcast or a YouTube channel or whatever, um, I think consistency is really important, Um, not only in terms of uh, delivering content, but actually delivering content that people actually want to consume. Um, I think also the landscape photography community is actually pretty tight knit and relatively small. Uh, You know, I think if you talk to a landscape photographer, you probably are going to have one or two friends in common at least, or maybe there's like one degree of separation between you and some of your friends. So um, it's a really tight knit community. And I think having a platform like the podcast uh, just kind of gives that community a voice and a way to kind of collaborate and I don't know, feel like they're part of a community. So I, I kind of attribute it to, to that and also just, having really fantastic guests. Um, I've been lucky to um, tap into some amazing minds and personalities and uh, really uh, those types of individuals have really carried the show, I think. So it's um, it's just as much attributed to my hard work on the back end as it is their hard work in terms of saying things that are interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Were you shocked? I mean, I was when I first started my first podcast and I would email people and I would be like, man, there's no way they're actually going to email me back about, you know, coming on this podunk podcast. (laughs) And then they would actually email me back and be like, yeah, when do you, we can do it anytime. Yeah, it's funny. I think when I first started the podcast, I was um, pleasantly surprised with how willing people were to um, be be guests on the podcast. Um, I'd say now that the podcast is uh, more well-established and it's over two years old, um, 
I'm actually kind of surprised when people don't write me back, especially if it's somebody who um, has an obvious marketing presence in the world or um, has um, at least something to gain in terms of uh, having their voice heard on the platform. So um, I guess it's a little bit of both types of surprise at this point. <laughs> what What are some things that like people don't really know about running a podcast that, that may surprise them? Um, yeah, I think probably a couple things. I mean, one, the, the obvious thing for me that at least that you're probably gonna think is just the, the time commitment. I mean, it seems like it's not a lot, right? Like, Oh, you just sat down and talked on the microphone for an hour with somebody. And then you just uploaded that file to the internet and you're done. Right. And, and it's, it's actually, a lot more involved than that. Um, at least it is if you're doing a f- relatively good job. Uh, there's just a lot more steps to that process in terms of production and and all that kind of fun stuff. Um, and then I think too, just uh, the amount of effort it takes to actually um, keep it compelling and engaging, especially when it, you have such a niche topic i mean you know there's some podcasts out there that they don't really even have a niche you know it's like like joe rogan or or nerdist or those bigger podcasts like their niche is just talking to interesting people and making an interesting time of it right yeah it doesn't matter what they do it could be you know an astronaut or a politician or an actor or a musician but in order to keep it relevant to the niche and the market that we're speaking to it, it's really hard to keep it kind of fresh and interesting week in and week out. So um, trying to collaborate with guests on coming up with good topic ideas or different angles on a topic, things like that. You know, I'm, I definitely have gotten some feedback from people like, Oh, it's, it's kind of boring and stale sometimes because you're talking about the same thing week in and week out. And it's like, yeah, but there's really only so many topics we can talk about, right? <laughs> yeah, I almost attribute it or like compare it to maybe like sports talk or something, <laughs> right. like sports talk radio in the summer when all you have to talk about is like the middle of the baseball season and that's right, it. Right, right. Has your photography, like you talk to tons of people all the time through the podcast or or just collaborating on ideas like you said has your photography improved because of it um i definitely think so uh how so you know it's um i guess you know if you if you're talking to people that have different and interesting outlooks on creativity and um, their approach to photography I think it's inevitable that that's eventually going to rub off on you a little bit. Um, and I think too, uh, it's some of it's more conceptual in nature. Like how I approach my photography now is a lot different than it was before I started the podcast. I I'd say before I started the podcast, my approach was, um, a pretty typical approach to photography. Like I'd have very specific photographs that I had like a shot list in my mind that I wanted to get, Mm -hmm. Um, and I, you know, almost like stamp collecting or trophy hunting or whatever. Like I had these very specific shots I wanted and, and that's not to say that I, I, you know, I still have ideas and things that I want to do, but my approach 
generally speaking, is to be a lot more open to what I just encounter and find and, and am moved by and, um, and I'm just kind of captivated by. So, um, it's definitely evolved the way I think about photography when I'm in the field. One of the most common questions that I get from people is like, how do I, how do I improve my photography or work on my photography or or go shoot places when it's still my side hustle or kind of like a second job uh, or just an enthusiast. And I, I think people would be surprised to hear that, you know, that's kind of your situation with photography too. You're an amazing photographer, but you also have a day job. How do you balance the two? <laughs> well, um, I guess a few things come to mind. Uh, I don't get out and shoot nearly as often as probably a lot of people do. You know, I'd say on any given year, I'm probably out taking photos five or six times, maybe seven total, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But um, my approach to that um, being now that I'm a lot more open to just finding what I find is that I feel like I come away with a lot more interesting photos than I did in the past. Um, I think, you know, balancing a day job and, you know, I have a 12 year old son and a wife and um, I'm actually on the Durango planning commission for the, for city council. And uh, I'm on like a nonprofit board. Like I'm, I got a whole lot of stuff going on. (laughs) Wearing a lot of hats. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, uh, I don't know. I think it's just being super intentional with how you use your time, um, and making, you know, once you commit to something like pouring everything you have into it, um, and playing to your strengths, like I, I find it, if I know something, it's something I'm not good at, I'm not going to spend time on it because that's, it will take me way too much time. And I would rather spend my effort on things that I know that I will do well. I think it was Ansel Adams that said like 12 good photos a year is pretty good. So I'm, I'm okay with that. So yeah. um, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, there have to be some benefits not to being like a full-time photographer. Well, for sure. uh, Financially, I think, um, most of the full-time photographers that I've talked to seem like they are always hustling um, to either get gigs or sell prints or sell workshops or, you know, produce, produce, produce content, produce YouTube videos, like whatever it is they're they're monetizing. They feel super compelled and stressed out to ensure that that happens day in, day out. Um, cause 100% of their livelihood is based on that. So I think that's certainly one advantage is that, uh, when I'm out taking photos, um, I'm not necessarily under the pressure that I have to monetize it. Um, I can do it for myself. Um, and I think sometimes that can yield, uh, better results that are more true to you and more unique to kind of what you're after that's not to say that if if money is your primary motivator for out there taking photos that you're not gonna you're you're still gonna take good photos i'm sure but um i definitely think it changes your approach not that one approach is better than the other but um i i know that um in the past when i for whatever reason put 
pressure on myself to produce good images for whether or not I thought they needed to be images I could sell or whatever. Um, I, I personally felt like those images suffered as a result in terms of quality. And I found myself uh, really just skipping past a lot of scenes, a lot of ideas, a lot of concepts, um, a lot of compositions, what have you, that probably were really fantastic and interesting to do, but they didn't, you know, meet that criteria of being something that I could market or sell. So definitely think there's an advantage there. Um, I also think you can be a little bit more thoughtful around how you spend your time as a photographer. You know, you don't feel like you have to produce day in day out great photos you know you can take a month off and be fine with that especially i don't know if you have this experience but i'll go through periods of time where i just don't feel like taking photos you know and Mm -hmm. i don't really have the creativity in me that in that moment and i spend my time focused on other things that are interesting to me and then maybe a couple weeks or months go by and i got the itch again and i'm out there doing it so i think there's an advantage to that too that you can kind of create good photography um, on your own time in the places you want to be and not feel the pressure to, to constantly be hustling um, and things like that. Also, I don't know if you've ever felt this way about, and I shouldn't say like, this is probably the case for all photographers that are doing it full time, <laughs> but um uh, I've certainly noticed that people that are engaged in full-time photography, um, it's, it feels like anyway, you know, they, they might say otherwise, but it feels like sometimes they're compromising um, maybe some of their personal ethics or um, have to feel okay with looking desperate for money. Um like you see people that are doing it full time that are like spamming Facebook groups with their photos and, um, you know, like just doing things that I personally don't feel comfortable doing just because I feel like it makes you look desperate. Although maybe they would say, I'm not doing it cause it's desperate doing it's cause it's smart. <laughs> um, I don't know. I just feel like it forces if if hundred percent of your income is doing doing photography, I feel like it forces you to do some interesting things that maybe you otherwise wouldn't do. Yeah, I and I that that's a really good point. I feel like that temptation is always there to like rush into something and and like you said, spam people and you know try to make all this money like right on the front end and build a following really fast, but what a lot of people kind of fail to do. And, and I mean, myself included, I have to remind myself constantly of this is, you know, this is one week of one month of one year. You know, if this, if you're in this for the long run, you got to be patient and methodical and know that it's going to take time to build all of this Um, and, and doing it the right way and having the right ethics, like you said about it is a huge part of that because I mean, if you, if you do one thing that's unethical, people are going to catch up on it real fast. And and that one thing is kind of going to break down your whole momentum of, of building up to, to what you want to become as a landscape photographer. And another thing you mentioned too, is, is basically being forced to constantly produce content 
And I feel like if anyone is working a day job, but is also doing photography and maybe wants to do photography full time, they have this idea in their mind that when you do become a professional photographer, you just go out and shoot whatever you want all day, every day. And that's (laughs) just not, that's not realistic. I mean, it, it also forces you when, when you are a professional photographer and you are doing that for income, you have to break through those blocks, those creative blocks, uh, quicker and more often because, I mean, there are mornings where I don't want to pick up my camera and go shoot, but I have to get the job done. Right. Um, so you constantly have to work around those things where I think you and, and people, a lot of people who are in your position who just love photography, like you have a, a better outlook on it in that regard. Would you agree? I mean, I think, I think you definitely have the, it's a lot easier to have a more thoughtful outlook or the ability to kind of pick and choose um, where you want to spend your energy and things of that nature. You know, and and I don't mean to say that like I've never made mistakes in terms of marketing or saying things I re- <laughs> don't regret or or that I regret or 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 doing stupid things because um, I thought it was a good idea, but it was actually a horrible idea. I mean, I've definitely done some really stupid things in the past, even as not a full time photographer. So, um, you know, it's it's. I just think. I, Maybe what I'm trying to say is if I did it full time and felt that pressure, I probably would make even more mistakes than I already do. (laughs) Yeah, there's no telling how many I've made. That's for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Another topic that I wanted to hit on uh, and we were talking a little bit about it before we started recording and and that's composites. Uh, The idea of like creating this fantasy type of image is that okay is it not okay you know do you have to disclose those things what's your take on that yeah it's funny um my view my view on this has definitely shifted significantly over the last couple of years i feel like whatever you're about to say is like whoever's on the opposite end is going to get real fired up (laughs) well hopefully not too fired up but we'll see (laughs) um I so first of all, I don't know that there's necessarily we need to say that there's different sides of this, right? I feel like mm-hmm. it's it's definitely something that's on kind of a a broad continuum with a lot of gray area in between. Um, and uh, I will say that uh, when I first started as a landscape photographer, I was very much of the opinion that you should be able to just do whatever you want. Um, I created lots of composites. Most of them were not very good. Um, I would even do stupid. Well, I shouldn't say the word stupid, but in retrospect, it was stupid. I would even like stretch mountains and make stuff look like way more uh, dramatic than it actually did, you know, which, you know, I think we all kind of go through that phase where you're, you're trying to find your voice and you're also trying to gain some attention. And, and you get, you know, I think that drives us to do some interesting things. Um, as photographers and artists. Uh, but I will say that my kind of my opinion on this has kind of shifted over the last couple of years. Um, I, I don't uh, create composites. Um, I, I've created a couple of composites in the last couple of years, mostly just to like see what it looked like kind of a deal. But I wouldn't say it's like, you know, 
95% of my work is composites. I would say in the last two years, maybe 0.01% of it is composites, you know? Um, I Do I think it's wrong of people to create composites? Absolutely not. Like if you want to create a composite um, with a Milky Way uh, over the city of Chicago skyline uh, with a rainbow coming out of the Sears Tower and... <laughs> uh unicorn riding the rainbow like that's totally fine like i like you know as artists we should i feel like there's no one should be able to tell anyone else how or what they should do uh however i think that there is some ethical considerations that we should be thinking about especially as it relates to uh photography because um i strongly believe that Photography is a very unique, um, it's a very unique art form in that it is somewhat based on uh, reality or at least a, a real experience that you have because you're pointing your camera at something in the world and you're capturing that moment in time of that thing, right? Mm -hmm. So I think there's kind of this inherent uh, unspoken belief from of viewers of photography that what they're looking at is is supposed to be something that could have or did actually occur. Um, that's not to say that you know I think people understand that you know you're you might embellish on some of the colors or the contrast or um, you know the the focal length you chose obviously is going to affect things. You know, there's all kinds of things that can affect how that experience is translated onto the, um, the well, in old terms, onto the actual paper, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the actual print. Um, but um, in terms of like going well beyond that, I feel like uh, there's some, there's some dangers in uh, creating or adding things that it weren't actually part of the experience. Um, and you'll have to just bear with me for a minute as I stumble through this, but I feel like if, if we get, if we become in the habit of, of um, let's say you have this fantastic scene, but there's no clouds and you decide, well, I'm going to take these clouds that I shot the day before at a different location. And I'm going to put those clouds there. Um, because it just looks way better. Um, well, I feel like as viewers, the more that we erode that trust between the viewer and what they perceive to be that artist's experience or interpretation of an experience, uh, the more we erode um, photography as, as, as a craft um, in general. Um, I haven't really talked to a lot of people that when when you ask when they ask you did you photoshop that and you say yes like they get excited about that right mm -hmm. there's a reason why people ask oh is that photoshopped um and i think there's some other things too you know uh, especially nowadays with social media uh when people see something online or a place like especially in landscape photography um and especially with Grand Scenics, uh, that can be a very inspiring thing for people. Like, I want to go see that. I want to experience what you experienced. And with composites, um, you're kind of 
you're kind of selling an experience that never occurred it never existed and never could exist um and again i don't think there's anything wrong with that except i strongly believe that we should be very forthcoming in the fact that it was not based on a real experience um and i'm going to go out on a limb and give an example there there's a uh there's a very uh famous landscape photographer that um, I would go out on a limb and say that in terms of contemporary landscape photography, he's probably one of the most well-known photographers in the industry, um, highly sought after for his workshops, etc. Um, the way he presents his images online and the way he describes them um, is usually kind of, uh, it, it describes an experience that he had. Like, oh, this... The, my favorite thing about mountain photography is when the storms part and like the, 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 all these clouds linger over the mountains and, you know, he's describing an, an experience, right? But when you talk to people that have actually uh, been on the workshop with him where he took the photo, it was completely blue skies and he taught the class how to add those clouds later, um, which again, I don't have a problem with that at all. I think if you want to add skies and drop Milky Ways and do all that stuff, I have no problem with that. But I think where I draw the line is how you present your work to the public. Um, because to me, when someone says, this is an actual experience I had, and you know that it wasn't, um, it just leaves a really bad taste in my mouth. Because let's be honest, we don't, we just, as humans, we don't like being deceived, right? We don't, we don't like the feeling that, Someone is presenting this truth or this reality to me, but it actually wasn't truth or reality at all. So I believe that um, anything goes, but we should be honest with our viewers about what it is they're actually seeing, especially around the idea of it being an actual experience or just something that was fabricated in the digital darkroom. How do you be honest, though, when you're posting something like that? Yeah, so I actually, uh, <laughs> I actually have an example of that um, on my website. It's a panoramic of a of a, a fall, an autumn uh, mountain scene here in Colorado, and the the camera is looking kind of uh, east, basically east to west or east to southwest um, in a big panorama, and then I composited a Milky Way over the mountains in fall. Um, which if you know anything about autumn and the Milky Way, you'd know that like it, it would never be that way. So uh, what I said in my description was, in this artistic interpretation of one of my favorite locations in the San Juan Mountains of Colorado, I blended two panoramic images together to create an interpretation of an alternate reality. This scene cannot and does not exist in reality. The Milky Way could never arc above this mountain range in autumn in this fashion. Uh, Wilson Peak, uh, blah, blah, blah. So I just basically was very honest. Like, yeah, I created this um, because I thought it would look neat, but I know I want to make sure that people know that like you could never see this yourself. So 
Hey guys, real quick, I wanted to pause this episode. We're going to get back to this conversation in just a second, but I wanted to take a moment to tell you about today's sponsor for the podcast, and that's visualwilderness.com. You can go to visualwilderness.com and find plenty of resources that you can get for landscape photography, for how to actually improve your photography, things like articles, courses, video content. There's tons of stuff on there to help you. So you can get my courses that are on visualwilderness.com right now as a thank you for listening to this episode. For a limited time, those are 33% off when you use the code DAVID33 during checkout. Again, that's visualwilderness.com and use the code DAVID33 during checkout. You can find the links on where to get those courses in today's show notes at davidjohnsonart.com slash podcast slash pain. That's P-A-Y-N-E. Find those there. Again, limited time offer, 33% off for all of my courses on visualwilderness.com. They also have membership fees for monthly memberships. And that's just like a very small amount of money for hours and hours and hours of resources on how to improve your landscape photography. Let's get back to the show. Posting something like that, does it build the trust or does it further diminish people's trust of other photographers? (laughs) Yeah, you know, I don't know. Um, You'd have to ask uh, other people, but I think it probably has the opportunity to do both of those things. Um, I think uh, if you're looking at my work, I think my hope would be that it means you trust that if I say something is real, that it was. And I think on the other hand, I do want people to um, be skeptical when they look at photography. I I think, you know, photography is never meant to be uh an exact replica of what we see with our eyes, but, um, and we should be skeptical of what we see in photography, but I think that it's important to, um, be honest with people, at least if they ask, you know, is that real or was that, is that what you actually experienced? You know, I don't know how many times I've heard people be asked that, or you see them be asked that on Instagram and then they get super defensive and come up with some answer about, why they did it like just disclose it from the start um and i think there's a reason why people don't do that i think it's because they know that um people won't like it the same way if they know that it wasn't actually a real experience do you think it's them maybe like guarding against somebody not liking their work absolutely um i think that's definitely part of it i also think part of it is um ego um, we don't like it when people, um, generally speaking, I think we don't like it when people are kind of questioning us as artists. Um, I don't know. I think it's, I try to compare it to other art forms and photography is really hard to do that with. But, um, if you think about sculpture, especially like if you think about sculpture like ancient roman sculpture of or greek sculpture of like the human form like they didn't make people's genitals the size of you know cars and you know like or you know like they were trying to be um accurate and i i, I wonder what people would have said back then if they would have done a sculpture of somebody 
which obviously is artistic, right? Sculpture is an art form. But if they would have done a sculpture and then they had like three penises or something like, wow, that's, that's crazy. Is that person really have three penises? You know, like, um, and maybe that's a bad example, but that's just the closest I could think of in terms of when you look at a sculpture like that, you're expecting it to be a somewhat realistic representation of the thing that you're sculpting. So this is what we've sunk to in, in landscape photography now, relating <laughs> photography to ancient Roman genitalia. <laughs> I guess so, David. <laughs> <laughs> well, you heard it here first. Yes, and some of you are probably shaking your heads and some of you are laughing, and I'm fine with that. Since we're on the topic of posting, even though not really on the topic, we're going to change the topic. Um, I, I was I was going through your Facebook page and I did come across uh, a lot of posts that you had from print sales from this past June. I, I wanted to get kind of your feedback on how your June push <laughs> helped you in print sales. Um. Yeah, very little actually. Um, I did an amazing amount of work to orchestrate that particular uh, sale event. Um, I mean, it was a pretty involved uh, process by which I, you know, I put a Facebook pixel on my website. Um, I created a giveaway that then drove people to sign up for my newsletter, which then I used to leverage to tell them about this sale. Um, I, you know, spent a lot of time um, getting feedback from other people about verbiage I use in my newsletters and um, in the actual uh, posts that I would create. And um, in the end, I think I sold like nine prints and I think I did the calculation just for fun to see kind of, you know, after I paid for marketing and materials and printing and shipping and all that fun stuff, I think my net profit was like $500 or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I, I mean, it was definitely a lot more work than $500. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. I think it's really hard to sell prints. Um, especially if you don't have a huge mailing list or the right kind of mailing list of um, people that are art buyers. Um, I think it's funny, like almost every person who bought a print from me was somebody that I knew personally from high school or college. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, I didn't really convert a lot of people that didn't know me before into buying a photo. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. It's I think it's hard to to sell prints unless you've really established yourself as a print artist and have kind of done the art fair circuit and have kind of some name recognition. Um, it doesn't really matter how good your photos are. I'm not saying like my photos are the best on the world or anything, but um, I think they're decent. Um, but that's not what's going to sell the photo, right? You need to have a huge marketing plan around how you're going to actually get people to push the buy button. And um, that was definitely something I learned through that process is um, it takes a lot more than a good idea to actually uh, to pull it off. (laughs) So knowing what you know now is, is that experiment kind of the final nail in the coffin of 
print sales for you? Is there the final nail in the coffin of social media marketing for business side of photography as a whole for you? Uh, no, I wouldn't go that far. I mm-hmm. mean, I'm still, um, I still get inquiries all the time about prints and print sales and things like that. Um, and I actually just sent a newsletter today. So, um, I wouldn't say that I'm not trying to do it. I think, um, I think what I learned from that was I just need to spend a lot more time building, building that base of customers, um, and finding the right kinds of customers that want to spend, you know, 500, a thousand, $2,000 on a, on a big print. Um, so actually, um, I actually just spent a little bit of money on a full page ad in a luxury magazine. That's kind of here for local Southwest Colorado people. Um, that's going to go out this summer. So we'll see if that kind of cultivates some business. Um, but I guess I'm just trying to be a little bit more thoughtful and taking the long road instead of putting a bunch of effort into like a big marketing campaign that, uh, maybe wasn't as well thought through as it could have been. What, what kind of prints are you selling most? Are, are you selling like grand landscape scenics or, or smaller intimate scenes? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's pretty, uh, pretty obvious for most photographers. And most of what I sell is grand scenics, um, especially mm-hmm. if it's of a place people have been to before. Um, that tends to be what people want to buy. Um, I think selling intimate landscapes and, uh, like, you know, more abstract, it's just a, it's a different market. And I'm not known for that, um, by the people that, have previously bought my work or the people that follow my photography. So, um, you know, I think that's the other challenge we have as photographers is, um, you may be drawn to a certain type of photography, uh, but that might not be what your audience likes to buy. So you either have to be okay with that, which I am, or you have to be conscious of it and try to work around it and, still produce those images that people expect you to. Is that kind of what it's like for you? Do you like shooting those intimate scenes, but you're selling the grand scenes? Uh, no, I mean, I like both. Uh-huh. I love okay. shooting both kinds. So it's, um, I just know that when I shoot those scenes, it's there's a very low chance that it'll ever turn into uh, money. Uh, but again, Prince is, uh, I mean, that's, it's, it's kind of a dying thing, right? I mean, it's, uh, I mean, there's very, very few artists that are just making their living off prints. Um, and I think the ones that are, have been doing it for a very long time and I have, have a well-established, uh, customer base. Um, so it's really hard to break into that market. Um, so I think for me, it's, uh, making a go of it as photographer, you know, as a side gig, you know, it means finding other ways to, to monetize, you know, either through teaching or through the podcast or, or whatever. So, so yeah, I'm not giving up on prints. I'm just not, it's just the amount of time I spend when I try to do it versus, you know, what I get out of it financially is just almost never worth the squeeze. So, (laughs) well, I think too, a lot of people who say, well, I want to start selling prints, whether, you know, they're, they're getting into monetizing their photography or they just want to sell them for fun. They, they don't under, they don't 
predict the overhead costs of, you know, framing, matting, shipping, uh, printing them. I mean, first and foremost, art shows, if you're doing art shows, uh, internet marketing costs, right? I mean, all those things kind of play into it. Oh, yeah. I mean, let alone the amount of time you spent getting the photo and how much your camera gear cost. And yeah, I mean, if you want to really treat it as a business, like you really... People should be selling prints for a lot more than they do is one of the things I've noticed is, uh, you know, there's people out there, they're willing to sell their work for almost nothing, um, which, you know, that's your decision if that's what you want to do. But I think that's also what's causing the market to be what it is, is, you know, people are kind of t- going with the lowest common denominator because they're afraid that they're going to ask for too much money. And what I found is, if you don't charge enough, people aren't going to think your work is worth work is worth buying. So, um, it's it's a tough one, man. It's a real tough one. Yeah. So, like when you say you know you made five hundred and some odd dollars off of uh, a print push in one month on Facebook and doing that social media push, I see sally in utah saying well i would love to make 500 plus dollars off of just one month and print sales but they don't see the work that goes into that it's just not a few facebook posts oh yeah i mean i gosh dude the amount of work that i did for that um particular sales event was pretty intense here's how it broke down i spent $137 $137 on marketing, which was all through Facebook. Um, I spent uh, $1,300 on production, which was, was just the print cost. I spent another $200 on shipping uh, because I had the prints shipped to me and then I signed them and then I shipped them back out. Um, so my total expenses were $1,600 and for about $1,650. My total revenue just from sales was $2,000. $2,100. So I made about $450 total. And that doesn't even account for the amount of time I spent writing. Uh, and um, I actually produced several videos. Um, <laughs> just, yeah, it was it was a lot. And um, I don't know. Yeah, $450, I guess, sounds like a decent amount of money. But I was expecting a lot more than that. <laughs> For that amount of work, you'd need a lot more than that to to really make it a, a firm push or something you wanted to do monthly. Yeah, absolutely. And plus, I don't know if you're con. Here's a kind of what I was, one of the things I was talking about earlier, and maybe I'm totally wrong on this, but I feel like your audience, not your audience, but like as an artist, your audience would grow weary of you constantly trying to sell to them. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you were to do something like that once a month, like I think people would just start tuning tuning you out completely. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's being strategic about how you reach your audience and how often you want to reach your audience and how hard you want to push th- for the sale. And I've talked to a lot of photographers about this too. And I think most most photographers, we don't really like asking people to give us money you know it feels kind of not at all yeah it feels kind of weird and gross and i don't know like i'm not a salesperson and some people are and i know it's just a mindset like um but i don't know like i don't like being sold to like i had someone just today someone out of the blue called me 
it was some like web marketing company that sells people like websites and marketing packages and stuff. But the way they prefaced it to me was like, do you also do architecture photography? And, and I was like, well, I mean, I have. So like they were trying to present themselves as a client and then it like got mm-hmm. spun into this thing. Like, well, we have a solution where you can reach lots more clients. And I was, as soon as they, they said that I just hung the phone up, you know, I was like, I don't want to be sold to, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, f- I feel like if I feel that way, a lot of people out there probably feel the same way. So, um, and I don't want people to feel that way about me as a, as an artist. What are some of your goals for photography coming up? Yeah, man. So I guess when you say photography, can we, can we kind of lump in like the podcast and all that? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So I've been really lucky that, um, I was contacted by out of Chicago to present at three of their photography conferences in 2020. So I'll be doing um, teaching and uh, hosting podcasts and doing panel discussions at out of Yosemite and out of Moab and out of Acadia. And I really just want to focus a lot more on kind of growing the the podcast brand and, and me as a result of that and really just see where that takes me in terms of landing other uh, types of conferences or other opportunities that might present themselves. Um, when I first started the podcast, I had no goals for it to be anything related to money or um, it was just kind of a passion side project. So, and it's it still, I still think of it that way. Um, but I will definitely uh, take what I can get in terms of where it leads me. So I guess my goal is to just c- to continue to, to grow that and stay true to that. Awesome, man. Well, congrats on all the out of Chicago presentations, the podcast success, and uh, thanks for coming on and talking with us. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. It's been a lot of fun.